Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud. And we're rocking and rolling, live streaming on Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I was rooting around on the social media, and I saw a article that was posted about this Chris Banks feller. And so I reached out to him, and he was kind enough to join me today. He is a Canadian Army veteran of the Lawrence Scots. Uh, he's been attached to the Dragoons and... Which RCR was it? Was it one, three, three RCR? Three RCR, and uh, yeah, really glad to have you here, brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate it, man. And have you been reached out to? Has other people have been inviting you onto their show since uh, that article came out? Uh, you're the first person to invite me on to a podcast or a show, but. I've made statements like the one I did that was attached to that uh, Veterans Affairs article where I put out, you know, a a chunk of my message. And I, I, without fail, every single time get people from my old unit, people from the veteran community reaching out like, hey, so something similar is happening to me and I don't know what to do. Those are the kind of messages I get. And receiving those kinds of messages, what, 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 tell me how, how that affects you. It's kind of unsurprising, but at the same time, it's, it's surprising. You know, like we all know that like it sucks and <laughs> people are dropping the ball but then when someone comes and tells you their story, it's just like, fuck. I'll try to keep this running down. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's okay. Uh, uh, curse when it, the mood strikes you. It's fine. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, um, I've had people reach out to me. You know, some people just, hey, I'm struggling and I don't know what to do. Some people have been, like, at the end of the rope and they're just like, hey, like, I'm really thinking about, doing something and I don't know who to talk to because no one's listening and it's just like like that's my story like that's what happened to me and I think every time that I put out a chunk of like my story people are seeing it and they're like hey that's me that's me too and they feel comfortable enough to talk about it or reach out to somebody and that's why I do it and that's why I'm kind of pushing myself to break the stigma of nah we don't talk about mental health yeah suck it up buttercup what you're describing Chris is uh, one of the mantras of the show 
if not the mantra, which is recover out loud. Yeah. And this is why. Because every time you do, it gives other people the strength, the courage to go, oh, shit, I guess it's okay to put my hand up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, go on. No, it's okay. I was waiting for you. I'm just, I think we're all tired of it. But at the same time, most people don't know what to do about it. And um, before um, we logged on this morning, I was going through some of the posts I've made on Facebook and Reddit before to kind of remind myself about, like, what parts of the story I've told that have, like, resonated with people. And, you know, there's something that most people aren't comfortable hearing that I could try to make a point to say. I asked 14 people for help. And I didn't get help. And, you know, in most of those cases... It's not because the person was a dick and they're like, well, fuck you. It was more like, that's a lot of information and I have no idea how to help you. I mean, most people aren't given the tools. Like if someone, especially if it's one of your troops, says to you like, I think I want to kill myself. Like I can't get the noise in my head to stop. And I spend all day at the bottom of a bottle just to keep the noise out of my head. And I don't know what to do. And the only option, the only realistic option I can think of, because I recognize the pain that I'm causing on other people because of my trauma, is to end it. And most people don't know what to do with that. And it's not their fault. It really isn't. But it's something that we need to address, not just, you know, in the veteran community, but we need to get proactive about it in military training. Like it needs to be part of, you know, BMQ. 100%. The get into the politicians' heads right now. Think the money you'd save. <laughs> You know, this isn't about money, but for some people it is. And yeah. the the truth is, is that if the system was to take your wise advice, um, it would be part of BMQ, you know, basic military qualifications for those that need mm-hmm. the translation. And um, basic training, in other words, and, and your trades training. Recruit course, basically. Recruit course. And it, de- and it, never, and it should never end. You know, uh, just like we have to take first aid every year, um, we have to take first aid in in basic. You take it again in um, battle school or whatever your trade is, and you take it again every year, and you take it pre-deployment and again and again and again because you have to keep those things sharp. You know, you're in a combat zone. You should uh, be second nature to um, direct pressure and elevate, you know, and like where's my field dressing how do i put it on you should just yeah. know that shit like it's like breathing but they, they try they try they 
put it into the training plans and, oh, yeah, we have a mental health course coming into the unit. Oh, there's mental health training available. Oh, we are going to talk about it. But I've never, ever seen it taken seriously except for pre-deployment training. And that may be because it was a reserve unit for me, and I don't can't speak for reg force units when it's not you know a training schedule for deployment. But it was not taken seriously. It was just like okay, we'll go through the slide deck. Oh, we'll have a, um, a someone come in and teach a proper lecture, but the leadership's going to take this example, this opportunity to do a CEO group. In the article uh, that was done, it says that you had done weeks of mental health training prior to the Afghanistan deployment. Is that accurate? I couldn't put an actual number on it, but yeah, generally speaking, like it was not like, oh, there's a three-week course, but like, you know, a couple days here, you know, a couple days here, um, you know, it adds up. And... What did you think of that training? Was it useful? It was a lot more than I had ever gotten before. It still wasn't enough. What was it missing? But I think peers. All the training we got was, you know, doctors, PSP, you know, experts yeah. in the field of mental health, don't get me wrong, and they're teaching us skills and stuff that, you know, I when I went through, uh, like, trauma recovery, I'm being taught the same stuff again, and it works. But the big thing was we really would have benefited from someone from a previous deployment, not maybe not necessarily Afghanistan, but a previous deployment who has, you know, gone through PTSD and could give a more real, a more real conversation. Yeah. yeah. Mm. One of the barriers there, and I agree with you, uh, one of the barriers is arrogance. You know, when you take these uh, mental health courses too, they, they like to be the, the big swing and dicks, you know, the experts. So they will talk down to us. I like, cause we couldn't possibly understand. And, um, it just makes it so much harder to digest. You know, it's, you don't need a trauma surgeon teaching first aid. You need a first aid instructor teaching first aid or a paramedic teaching first aid, not a trauma surgeon. They're different skill sets. And uh, the last thing in the world that you need is a psychiatrist telling soldiers uh, how to deal with uh, mental health in the field. Because that psychiatrist actually has absolutely no idea. None. Zero. Because that psychiatrist doesn't understand combat trauma. Can't. Can't understand it. So... Something, something to add into that that I've, I've noticed that actually plays a really big part in it is civilian psychologists also don't understand the conditioning that is our training program. Yeah, that's right. And they don't understand that, like, it, we have actions on built into us now that we don't even think about. 
<laughs> tell me, tell you me know? more about that. Oh, I am now the guy who has to sit with his back to the wall. Why is that? Every time I go out, I'm on operation. Yeah. I'm not. I I consciously am aware that I am in Canada. I am safe. Nobody's trying to take a pot shot at me. I'm just going to the mall. But in my mind. Oh. Well, folks, uh, I just lost Chris. He's right at a real juicy part, too. Uh, he'll probably pop back on. So we'll just keep going. God damn it. That happens sometimes. And he's back. Just give me a second. And you're Sorry. back. Oh, right at a, oh, And he's gone again. He's gone. He's back. Well, folks, you're listening to Operation Dango Romeo, the Tramor Recovery Podcast. And Chris is back. Stop doing that, Chris. It's not my fault, I promise. <laughs> Wasn't me. You can't prove anything. <laughs> okay, so... So, uh, what an unfortunate spot to, to get broken up in, or maybe, maybe it was the universe looking after us to give us a reset. So just a breather. So it, just a bit of a breather. So you're in the mall and what's happening to you as you walk through the mall? Everyone is a potential threat. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of, Afghan veterans will echo this sentiment. We walked around an area where, you know, insurgents hid within the population. So is that guy, you know, raking the same part of the field for the last 40 minutes actually doing anything? (laughs) Or is he just waiting for us, you know, to get a little closer, step into a kill box, And now I can't shake that feeling. I walk outside and, you know, everybody's hands, what are they doing? I go into a restaurant and I got to know, you know, where the exits are. I mean, some guy in the mall, like, bumps shoulders and wants to prove how tough he is. And in my head, it's like, you know, we're having a fist fight before we're... You know, there's anything actually going on. Like I'm, I'm preparing for that moment, and it's just like bump shoulders and some guy going fuck off. Yeah, yeah, and it's really nothing, and it's really nothing more than some guy just fuck off, and then he keeps walking. But in my head, it he's a much bigger threat than he is, and I'm now preparing for combat. Because I can't get out of that mindset. That's the hypervigilance. And that's been the biggest thing for me to try and overcome. Have you been able to make, and he's gone again, just as we're in the good stuff. I don't know what keeps happening with his, uh, with his laptop. Well, folks, this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast, and we are having a very good discussion despite the technical difficulties. And 
we are really hitting the nail on the head for what it's like to have hypervigilance, what it's like to to live with this. And it's unfortunate that we're having the technical issues, but uh, Chris is really mm-hmm. nailing it on the head so, so well. Um, so I don't know if your laptop is, is timing out or, or, or... It's not. No, he's gone again. Well, God damn it. Uh, this might have to be uh, a short episode today. We're only at the 15 mark, 15 minute mark. So not sure what's going on, but this is such a good conversation and we will have Chris back on again for sure and reboot this one. But when stuff like this happens, I kind of trust that the universe has got a plan and that there's a reason for it. His laptop probably isn't plugged in and it's the, it's the low battery. Oh, he's back. Is it a low battery? Unstable Are you plugged in? No, I'm plugged in. It's just uh, unstable internet connection where I live. Is, is that all it is? Yeah, well, that's all it is. And I'm sorry. No, it's okay, Chris. We'll try a little bit more, but if it keeps happening, we'll just rebook it for another time. But um, I am really, really enjoying this uh, conversation that we're having, brother, because whether you are aware of it or not, you are quite gifted at communicating. And um, the, the way that you're, you're, you're laying it out there is a way that I am resonating with very, very much, and so are others. And this is the power of sharing your story, Chris. This is the power of recovering out loud. And I know it sucks, you know, uh, when I reached out to you, you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, it's a bit of a nerve wracker. But um, I am so happy that you decided to nut up, for lack of better words, and, and to do this, to be on my show, because it is so helpful when people hear it from another person. And they go, oh, my God, yeah. That is what it's like. Me too. You mean I'm not nuts? I'm not alone? Because we don't really talk about the real stuff with each other, you know? And um, when we were offline, I was mentioning to a buddy of mine, Bruce, and we had a little confession with each other. There's a small group of guys uh, that I was overseas with. And there's a small group of guys that, that when I see them, it really brings it all back. And for the first few times that I would connect with Bruce, I'd be wrecked for three or four days after. And then he admitted, yeah, me too. (laughs) Every time I saw you, I'd be a mess for a few days after. That actually reminds me. So sorry. Part of my trauma led me to making, you know, some short-sighted decisions. And one of the ones that I really regret is skipping out the 10-year anniversary of my tour. Yeah. And I actually, you know, I had to lie to a couple people about why I couldn't go because, you know, some people actually saw me in Toronto face-to-face. I was like, hey, you coming? Uh, No, sorry, I think I'm going to be on course. Yeah. And, like, I was lying. I was lying right out of my ass. But just, I couldn't deal with it at that time and just the idea and and this is like back in 2018 but just the idea of like going back and seeing those guys as much as I missed them and I wanted to see them it's just like I know where that's gonna take me yeah and it's terrifying and it's not necessarily other army guys in general but 
the particular ones that you went over with. You know, if it was if it was ones that you're on course with, that's different. But ones that you're actually over there with, mm-hmm. that's different. That that's a whole other ball of wax. And to kind of capitalize on that point, like I actually did have an encounter with someone. Um, I met another vet who I actually deployed with, but we didn't know each other at the time. Okay, we yeah. met like it's like one of those times where it's like, oh fucking, like you were just down the road, hey, eh, or in the next tent. That's awesome. And, you know, we ended up shooting the shit, you know, telling some horror stories. And that was just like a little moment of fun and followed quickly by you're back in Afghanistan and you're under threat. And it went from this is awesome. Fuck yeah. You know, good memories to full blown panic attack. Yeah. It's uh, counterintuitive because when you're in the shit, there's no panic attack, (laughs) you know, like when it's actually when bullets are flying and bombs are going off, it's the opposite. It's incredibly calming. You know, I mean, if you had a different experience, please share it. But for me, it was calming. You're just on. But that calm feeling is actually like mega vigilance. But it's, uh, and I don't know what it is, but. Like when shit's getting real, it's just calm and aware and okay, what's going to happen next? But when you're back home in Canada, um, like straight up panic attack over seemingly nothing. It's just weird. You you, you said something nice to me uh, that like I'm a good public speaker. And the reason I'm a good public speaker is for a long time, I was the public affairs guy at my unit. So I went out and I talked a lot to schools and community groups about the army and stuff like that. And every single time without fail, someone asks, were you scared? And I don't tell them the truth because I keep this for, you know, people who know, but the truth is I wasn't scared until after And I mean, like, right after. Or, like, we're back at the FOB, okay, kit's off, go take a shower, sit down, eat some food in the mess, and then it's like, holy fuck. Because, you know, people who say it are absolutely right. When you're actually in that moment, the training kicks in, And you are laser focused. And that's exactly what it was for me. Every time, laser focus. But then, you know, back at the fob, it's like, holy fuck. You know? And, you know, you never really take the time even to process it. It's just like a little moment, a fleeting moment of holy fuck. And then you're exhausted, so you go to sleep. And then you wake up the next day and it's another patrol. So that just goes right to the back. You've never actually processed it. It's just at the back. And then when you get home, or at least for me, when I got home, that's when the noise really started. Um, like the, the Afghans would call the 
uh, UAVs, mosquitoes, because they're annoying little things that are always buzzing overhead. But every time I tried to put my head down, I could hear UAVs. It's all I could hear was UAVs, just the buzz, just the buzz. It's like, how can I hear a UAV right now? You know, and then I'd wake up and it's like, where's my rifle? Where's my gun? And I start getting myself back into that environment. One of the things that's difficult for people to understand is our relationship with our kit. Yeah, that's part of the conditioning. Like I was trying to mention a little bit earlier about a psychologist. They don't get, and civilians don't get, everything that you need to survive, you carry in your kit. Everything. Water, food, ammunition, armor, communications. And what you lose it, your kit. And what, what does it mean when you have an incomplete kit list? What's the consequences, Chris? You're getting smacked around by your sergeant. (laughs) Yeah. Get jacked up like never before. Mm -hmm. And, but what's the real life implication of not having all your kit? Worst case scenario. Yeah. You're not the one who's going to be paying for it. The people who are picking up your slack are. Yeah. And I think as soldiers, that's, the real fear is we all kind of accept that. Like we signed the dotted line, but you got other people to look out for too. So it's not just you when you fuck up. It's not just you. You're dragging down. You're dragging other people down with you. One of the best or worst times I was ever jacked up RV 92. You know what I was missing? My C5 knife, the world's shittiest little Camelus um, pocket knife, you know, good for nothing, really. And uh, that's all I was missing. That's it out of my entire summer kit list, my C5 knife, little frickin' pocket knife that could be replaced with anything. And uh, like a, a rusty tin can lid in my pocket would do the same job. And... Uh, <laughs> um, the jacking that I got for that, holy shit, right? But that was the the theme of that jacking that I received was um, if I don't have all my kit, it's the other people that I'm jeopardizing. I'm the weaker link if I don't have my full kit list. And uh, I got blasted. Sergeant Taylor, if I recall correctly. <laughs> And, um, but our relationship with our kit, the first time I really experienced it, I was on a backpack trip with a bunch of university students as a buddy of mine's girlfriend was in university and they're going to do this uh, backpack trip thing, um, in Jasper, Jasper National Park. So I got the big heavy rucksack, and I, I was a rock climber at the time, so I got these extra ropes and gear. Like, I, I've got a load. It's like I was in Mortar's Platoon or something. Like, I got a heavy load. And all I could think of is, this feels so wrong without a rifle in my hand. 
I felt so naked, so vulnerable, just so so wrong not having that rifle in my hand. Like it was really, really bothering me. I was laughing at myself for it, but I couldn't shake that feeling that I need a rifle. Where's my fucking rifle? And I kept looking for it too. I couldn't, you know, because this is only a few years after the war. But uh, that is a sensation and a feeling that, um, like, it's so visceral. It's like those dreams you have, and you're back in, and you're looking for your kit, and you can't find it. You know, you can't, you can never find your kit in these dreams. It's, uh, it's like even your locker, where the hell's CQ so I can get my kit, you know? Like, where the hell's my kit? What the hell? And uh, that relationship to our kid is just something that you get it, I get it. Yeah. But if you haven't served, you don't get it. You can't. Yeah. I mean, it's a big part of, you know, keeping us safe, keeping us operational. And it's kind of like being vulnerable without it. Vulnerable and and being a liability and not being able to be the sheepdog that we're trained to be. You know, shit goes sideways. Like when I was on that hiking trip, what if there's a freaking grizzly? Like I, I'm the one guy... <laughs> out of this group that uh, could probably do something about it. And I can't do something about it because <laughs> I don't have a rifle. This is like, you know, like, what do I do? Yeah. I mean, I'm a terrible offender for that. Like I was a kit nerd when I was in, so I was already pretty bad for that. But even now that I'm out and even before when I was out, when I was just like on leave or whatever, I'd have to pack like a bag to take with me. I'd have to pack, you know, first aid kit, pens, knives. I'd have to keep, like, glow sticks and shit in the truck just in case. Just in case. Got to have your kit ready. <laughs> the glow sticks cracked me up. That was a Rambo 2? No, Rambo 3. When he went to Afghanistan, you got to watch Rambo 3. Because it was actually... I, it's been decades for it, Rambo 3. Oh, my God. It's so good. Well, that's when uh, the Taliban were the good guys in in, uh, in the public. Well, I remember the premise. Yeah. The Taliban were the good guys. Russians were the bad guys. And uh, the Americans are the heroes. And uh, uh, one of the Afghanis, um, he's like, what's that? It's a glow stick. What does it do? It turns blue. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool having a glow stick. Yeah. And it's just a trail marker. That's all it is. That's all it does. Yep. Yeah. But unless Rambo has it, then it's a weapon. Everything's a weapon if Rambo has it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, it turns blue. <laughs> when you got that... Um, accommodation for the minister of veterans affairs were you expecting that to come down the pipe no i mean i wasn't totally surprised um you know some of the guys uh in the legion that i've worked with they're they're very passionate about honors and awards so when i got the call it was like yeah i think i have an idea who nominated me and what kind of work were you doing that uh, prompted somebody to nominate you for that? That one was just mostly like 
an out of the blue situation that popped up on uh, Reddit. Um, there's a Canadian forces group on Reddit and a few years ago, this is before the pandemic. Um, a young troop posted his suicide note and, you know, kind of capped it all off with, I'm going to go watch star Wars and then that'll be it. And so like, you know, a bunch of people in the community were like, don't do it, don't do it, going through post-history. And I was going through his post-history and just happened to notice him talk about where his dad worked. I won't say, you know, details. Of course. But, like, just happened to mention where his dad worked. And it sounded very similar to where my sister worked. So I called in. And, like, I said, like, hey, does anybody have a son who's, like, an Afghan vet? And, you know, a few more details. And they're like, wait, yeah, actually. Hold on. And then a couple minutes later, some manager comes back on, like, why are you asking about this? Told him about the post. Holy shit, thank you. Well, we got a hold of his dad. He's on his way right now. And the police were able to locate him and get him to the hospital. And still in touch are you still in touch with this veteran today? Um, I made the offer. Um, but I think they closed their Reddit account and it was very anonymous the way we did everything. Sure. So I actually don't, to this day, don't know him at all. Not even his name. What year did that happen? Uh, that was 2019. Well, let's hope he or she is in better, a better space now. I, I truly hope so. And if that veteran or somebody that knows that veteran knows the story, um, has contact with that person, or if that person is listening, you're welcome to be a guest here. If you are at that point in your healing where you're ready to have a conversation. You're welcome on this show. Just reach out to me through the show. And if you're not, because it takes time to get ready. And yeah, I, I'll be honest with everybody here. There was a long time when I was not ready, not ready to talk about it, not ready to talk about it as openly as I can talk about things now. As much as I make the case that I was open about what I was going through to break the stigma, there was still a lot that I was withholding. And it takes a lot of time to get ready for that. Even just to get ready to accept that you're, that you're in need of help yeah. was a hard thing for me to accept. I mean... Whether you want to say it's because of the way we're raised like as boys or whether you want to say it's part of the training that we get, we are conditioned to believe that you have to solve your problems. And if you can't solve your own problems, there's something wrong with you. And that is complete fucking bullshit. It really is. There is nothing wrong with asking for help. I mean, you go to the gym and you're pushing, you know, uh, on the weights and you need a spot. 
that make you less of a man? Does that make you less of a warrior? I mean, one-man armies aren't a thing. We work <laughs> as a team. We work as a team. I, and if you have no trouble asking for a spot in the gym, we need to get to the point where you should have no problem asking for a spot, you know, with your mental health. Even a sniper has a team. That's the one job in all of the military that I can think of where you are uh, a one-person unit, but you're not. Uh, usually, you're not. usually a two-person unit with a uh, with a spotter, but even then. You're usually not. There's a recce team nearby, and and there's support, and that's what your radio's for. And there's all these, uh, you know, the guy, the guy in the van. <laughs> that's uh, they're, they're like you've got support up the wazoo. You're not truly alone, and backup is on the way for extraction if you need it. Like there's a whole mm-hmm. team to put those two people in the field, and. Um, we we just don't work alone. That's not how how it works. And the idea that you can I got this. Why? Why do you got this? Does that mean your balls are bigger? Is that why you got this? Because you got big balls. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Th- thank you for telling me about those big swinging balls you got there. But no, you don't got this. I can do it. No, you can't. Fuck off. Nobody I mean, can do, even if you can do it, why like, would you? What are you proving? Are you going to get a hernia lifting that weight? <laughs> like, like use a team, man. Yeah, you know, is it is it, uh, just because you can pound a nail into a board with your forehead doesn't mean that you shouldn't use a hammer? Mm. You know, like find the tools, use the tools. Don't bang that nail into a two by four with, a, with your forehead. First time using that analogy, but I like it. <laughs> works it works it's like yeah i can do that but i don't want to it's not very smart to to do it that way i keep coming back to the power of recovering out loud chris i love this i love this conversation that we're having so much and um what this conversation is is one kick-ass peer support group that's what we're ha- this feels like right now that uh, this is a kick-ass peer support group. I have a friend of mine, Brandon Gorman, that uh, that signed in here. And when we were talking about, where's my kit? He says, I get it. I've had way too many dreams like that, almost nightmares. And I'm like, yeah, they are uh, borderline nightmarish, you know, when you can't, you can't find your kit, that sense of being vulnerable. But um, that's where a peer support group, comes in and I get if if you get and I hate the word triggered but what else are you going to use if you get activated or if it wrecks you by being around other veterans because it brings things back I totally understand that but in a peer support group done right through OSI can or um, if, if you can find an OSIS group or any other number of uh, group like just put in Facebook veteran peer support like you'll find something um, there's all kinds of organizations. There's books on how to do it. Um, what the hell's his name? I, ha- I had him on the show. Um, it'll come to me. I'll remember. But I had on the show of a guy that's written a whole series of books on veteran peer support. 
and um, oh god it was right there I had it <laughs> it'll come to me but um, either way the, the resources are there and the do's and don'ts of peer support I mean that's the first 10 episodes of this show Operation Tango Romeo go back listen to the first 10 episodes you'll get some pretty good ideas about the do's and don'ts of peer support or any of the times I've had John Sr. on so just go through um, all the episodes of John Sr., listen to those, especially I think episode 45 was a pretty good one. And um, learn how to do it right because it's an easy thing to fuck up because nobody can be douchier than than one veteran to another veteran when they're not doing it right. We can be very douchey to each other at times. What are, uh, from your perspective, Chris, what are the do's and don'ts of peer support? If you're still there, I think you froze on me. Yep, he froze on me. <laughs> Shit balls. Well, he'll probably come back. And uh, when he comes back, we'll we'll talk about the do's and don'ts of peer support with Chris. I hope you're enjoying this conversation despite the technical difficulties. I know I am. We're really hitting home on this. So on the nail. Really on the nail, on the nose, however you want to say it. And again, I really encourage you, go to, if you haven't already, or if, if you haven't in a while, listen to the first 10 episodes. Even the tone of my voice, can, compared to what it is now, you'll hear the healing of where I was compared to where I am. But the do's and don'ts of peer support, the, the tools that, if you have them, you can have Buddy Six in a way that's so much better because this is a vulnerable community and we don't like to think that we're vulnerable, but we are, you know, cause we're the sheep dogs. We're the superheroes. We're the ones wearing the capes. <laughs> we're a vulnerable community. And when somebody is on the edge, they're on the cliff. You don't want to accidentally give them the extra little bit of a push. You know, that's probably not the way to go. So to make sure that you're not the accidental douchebag <laughs> that uh, does more harm than good to make sure that you're not the one that's creating sanctuary trauma, just learn the skills and and listen to the do's and don'ts. Listen to the first 10, 20, 30 episodes of Operation Tango Romeo. It's all there. It's all there. How to do it without screwing it up. And when you do screw it up, because you will, because I still do, um, forgive yourself. Be kind to yourself. It's okay. It's okay if you screw it up. You know, I mean, the consequences can be ugly, but that's not even on you. Even if you screw it up, those consequences aren't on you because we didn't create the situation. We didn't create the situation where um, um, somebody was injured. Think of it like a trauma surgeon. So when somebody comes in and they got a gunshot wound and that trauma surgeon can't save them, should that trauma surgeon beat themselves up? No. Because there's nothing that that trauma surgeon could do about it. You know, he didn't put the bullet hole in him. (laughs) And it's the same kind of thing with peer support. If somebody's coming to you, don't expect that you can necessarily fix them. Just expect that you can do your best. And just like that trauma surgeon, have the education, have the training, have the skills, and do your best. And it works or it doesn't. If it doesn't, it is not on you. Because you didn't put that bullet hole in him. I was monologuing, Chris, while you were gone. <laughs> Excellent idea, because I gotta apologize. Flame Bell. Hey, 
you know what? Same thing I just said. It's not on you. You know, for whatever reason, the universe is giving you shitty internet today, and that's okay. That it's gives a- me a minute to take a breath. Yeah, and you know what? I um, I roll with it now a lot more. Not every time, just... Uh, just a week ago, not even just a few days ago, uh, things were not going right. And because of my mission mind, um, I'm like, I was treating it like it was life or death. And really it wasn't. I was all upset and super grumpy. It was in a foul, foul mood. And, uh, and yet the fix was a $20 fix, not even (laughs) a $20 fix and a few minutes of time. And, uh, and, and the thing that I was losing sleep over was fixed. So, you know, I think the trick is, is recognizing when you're not being reasonable, when you're worrying about shit, you shouldn't worry about the, and that's the self-growth process. Really the, the healing path, Chris, is a path of self-awareness. People will punch you in the nose if you tell them that they're not self-aware, but it's true. That's what PTSD does, man. It makes you totally not self-aware, situationally aware because hypervigilance, but not self-aware, not aware of your impact on others, of the blast radius that you're that you're creating. That's uh, the, the higher your awareness of that, the higher your level of mindfulness, and the and the better further on the path of healing you are. Does that resonate? Oh man. I was waiting for a break to say that resonated because <laughs> I'll tell you something, and this might be surprising to a lot of people. A lot of my recovery and my healing came from marriage counseling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it was really through marriage counseling that I really started to understand the effect that I was having on my wife. And I really started to learn like how I was communicating was the problem. And we both learned how to adjust our communication to match each other's wavelength. Um, And now we are, oh man, so better than ever, really. And, and it really just, it really does like capitalize the point that we don't even realize for a lot of the times the effect that we're having on other people until we're ready to listen. Because for a long time, and she was telling me for a long time, I just wasn't listening. I wasn't ready to listen. And there was even, you know, a failed attempt at marriage counseling where we went, it didn't work, and, like, we bailed after three sessions. Yeah, there's a lot of bad ones out there, and I would encourage well, people to it keep... it wasn't the marriage counselor. It was you. It wasn't the marriage counselor. I was the problem. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's both. I mean... Uh, well, I agree. When you say that, I, I wonder about how my, all the ones that I thought were shitty therapists, I wonder if it was just me. But um, you were- but keep shopping It was was the point. For me, it was, I wasn't ready to hear what was being said to me. Yeah. And I had to go through my own, you know, recovery first before I was, you know, in the mind space to listen and hear that I was doing, you know, harm. 
the hardest thing in the world, and it's uh, something that I learned right in the beginning of this journey. Being able to say, oh, I'm the asshole. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. And be able to acknowledge that. Be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm the asshole before you cause irreparable damage. Okay. And I, and here's another honesty moment for you. I wasn't taking care of myself for a really long time. I was even in denial. I had gone through therapy and, you know, I got better. Like I deployed in 2008, got back in 2009, knew right away something was wrong, went to the MIR, got counseling, did that until 2012. And I thought, okay, I'm good. I'm good. It was a false recovery. I was not good. I was better, but I wasn't good. So my problems festered and festered for years after that. My wife's telling me, you're getting worse again. You got to go back to therapy. No, I'm not. No, I've gone to therapy. I'm good. I'm done. I'm not going back. But I just kept on letting it get worse and worse and worse. And... I didn't listen when it was being told to me and I let it get so bad that one day I was, you know, my daughter at the time, she was just a few months old screaming in her crib and the noise, I I, I couldn't handle it. It got so bad that I, you know, stuck my head in her crib and I yelled, shut up. And I have to live with that for the rest of my life. I have the memory of my infant daughter, you know, in her crib. I have to live with that. I have to live with the anxiety that I've caused in my daughter. And I have to acknowledge that it's my fault. And I truly hope people listen to that and they check themselves before they do something like that. Because that's something I can never take back. I would would like to suggest uh, an adjustment to your language. Hmm. There's a difference between fault and responsibility. The fault is that of the injury. PTSD is a neurological injury. It like you could stick our brain in an MRI machine and they can go, Oh yeah, that wiring's there it is. Uh, that's a bag of cats there. And um it's the fault of the injury. But the responsibility to fix it is on us. Exactly. Just like nobody can make you go to the gym, nobody can make you have a shower, nobody can make you brush your teeth. That's your responsibility. People can tell you this is what you got to do, but only you can do it. Nobody can do it for you. And the healing road sucks balls because you've got to face all of your shit, all of your shit. And just like brushing your teeth, just like working out, just like showering, it has to be a daily habit. Absolutely. If it's not a daily habit, it's like, well, I used to be in really good shape. Yeah, and then what happened? Well, I quit doing physical shit. 
And then what happened? Then I got fat and sloppy and weak and short of wind. Right. So how do you fix that? Well, I got to get back in shape again. And then what? And then I'll stop. And then what? And then I'll get fat and sloppy and out of breath again. Right. So what do you have to do? Not stop. And it sucks. Like, well, I just want to, you know, one and done. I want a magic pill. Sorry. Nope. It's not how it works. This is, you know, if you want to stay in shape, you you can't stop being physical. You can't stop the training. And that's how this is for PTSD recovery. Sorry, there is no end point. It's a lifestyle change forever. The end. Yeah. And that's something that really, um, just to change gears slightly, that's something that really bothers me, though. Like, the representation of, you know, mental health treatment in TV and movies is always like, oh, yeah, you go through a few sessions and... Boom. No, 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 no. You go through sessions to learn skills. You go through sessions to process your memories. But that work doesn't end. Like you go to the gym and you get a trainer or you join the army and you learn routines on how to, you know, do curls, do push-ups, do chin-ups. But it's up to you to keep doing that for the rest of your life. Like you said, like if you stop, you you're going to feel it. And it's the same way with keeping yourself mentally healthy. Like you got to keep yourself like in check. You don't need to go to the therapy for the rest of your life. If you don't need to, like it's completely subjective to the person, but you do need to work on yourself. You do need to exercise those tools. Therapy is supposed to be the place where you get the tools, you get the insights, you get the tools. You don't need to keep going to therapy once you take those tools and you're using them on a daily basis. It's part of a routine. Then you can finish therapy because you're on autopilot. You don't need to keep using a trainer to uh, at the gym for your whole life. If you use what you learned from that trainer and you're doing it yourself every day. You know, the trainer can't make you do shit. You still got to show up. You got to show here, up. Now here's the revelation that I had um, in the last couple of years. It is so much easier to keep that motivation if you keep it, if you keep the motivation. If you lose it, you got to rebuild it. Yeah. So don't let yourself slack off because I had to rebuild it. I lost it. I lost everything. Like you you even mentioned brushing your teeth. Like there was a, a, a long time there where like I just didn't even have the energy to brush my teeth yeah. in the morning. And like I, there was a lot of hygiene that I just – stopped i was in such a bad place and rebuilding from that was so much harder i mean now like when i was in the army i was actually a pretty heavy dude i i I struggled to have the motivation to keep you know physically fit but now that i've actually been able to take care of myself you know mentally the motivation to go for a run, to go to the gym is there. I don't have to go searching for it. It got, everything gets easier the more you take care of yourself. 
the bottom line that I've discovering, and I finally, I've st- I've been wanting to write a book about all this stuff, and I've started three different titles. I've started three different times. Probably got a hundred pages written, and I uh, finally got like, oh, I'm overthinking this. I just got to tell the story. Uh, but the bottom line to achieving any goal is self-esteem, and the injury of PTSD can beat the fuck out of your self-esteem, beat the snot right out of it. And um, so it's finding that starting point of, okay, how do I not feel like an idiot? How do I not feel like shit about myself? And when you figure that piece out, which I'm putting into a book, when you realize, like, okay, that wasn't me, that was the injury. Okay, that wasn't... uh, and I can do this, and I'm worth it. I've done it before. I can do it again. I can get back to being that person to, to some degree, but I can, I can improve. I can move forward. Once you realize that you deserve to move forward, that you deserve to heal, that you deserve to be a better human being, that you deserve it. Why do I know that you deserve it? Because everybody freaking deserves to be the best version of themselves. That's a constant in the universe. Everybody on the planet deserves to be a better version of themselves. Everybody deserves to heal. Everybody. It's natural law. So once you realize that, yeah, I deserve to be a better version of myself, I deserve to heal, it's just the commitment. Like, where am I going to start? Start by brushing your teeth. Start by making your bed. That, that's a wonderful place to start. And keep those promises to yourself. And then when you're ready, you add, a, add, a, add in another promise. And then you add in another promise and you just keep building until you're Jocko freaking willing, <laughs> you know, but that is uh, kind of the, that's the goal really is like a Jocko or a David Goggins or a, a, a Joe Rogan, you know, these people that are just machines, like have that as sort of the target. And it is okay if you never go all the way there, very few people do. But that's the target. That is what you're capable of by simply making the decision of this is me. I'm not a couch surfer. You know, I'm not a couch potato. I'm I'm a sheepdog. And that's 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 what I am. So I deserve to act like the person that I am and do it. Make that commitment to yourself and keep the promise. There were um, more than a few years where I had given up. I had just completely given up. And I didn't even want to get better. I didn't feel like I deserved to. I didn't feel that I wanted to. I just, I had become just, I got into such a dark place that I couldn't even imagine seeing the light again. And the more time I spent there, it seemed the fewer options I had. And after a while, it was like, I probably deserve this. I probably brought this on myself. I've done, you know, some shitty things. I've, you know, been an asshole to people. This is my pittance, I guess. And for a long time, I had convinced myself that I shouldn't even bother going for these resources. I shouldn't bother asking for help. 
I don't deserve it. No, I, I've made enough fuck ups because of my injury. And I know now how wrong this line of thinking is, but at the time (laughs) I was convinced, I was convinced that I had done so much wrong because of my injury that I didn't deserve to get better. There were people out there who deserved help far more than I did. So help them, not me. And I let myself believe that for such a long time that when people were telling me that you deserve to get better, you should get better, you can get better. I didn't believe them. I'm not even sure I wanted to believe them. But all I thought about is, no, this is just how it is. This is just how it's going to be. Do you agree with me that uh, believe that you deserve to heal, that you deserve the help, that you're deserving of it, that that's really the ultimate starting point? Every single person does. Yeah. Every person does. Uh, does. Is that the starting I, point I, to healing? Do the healing process is accepting that though? I would say that's fair for most people. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to put an absolute on it because other people might need something else to kickstart their journey. But Mm. uh, I I would say that was true for me. That's been true for a lot of people I've spoken to. So it's definitely something that people need need to be aware of. I agree with you, Kristen. It's wise uh, to not speak in absolutes. That's what a Sith does star wars (laughs) only a sith speaks in absolutes and whatever accent that's supposed to be um there are very few maxims in my life and a maxim is an absolute truth and the one that i will accept as a maxim is that we treat ourselves the way we believe we deserve to be treated if we believe we're a three out of ten that's how we treat ourselves and that's what we reach for if we think we're a ten out of ten then that's how we treat ourselves and that's what what we reach for. Um, you don't reach for a 10 if you think you're a 2. You just don't. Uh, so if there is an absolute, a maximum in life, that's it. And, and it boils down to the self-concept to self-esteem. And because uh, everything is about that. That's why when people win the lottery, that money tends to be gone within a few years. You know, it's amazing how somebody can blow $10 million, but they can, you know, and the reason that they blow it is because they never felt deserving of it in, in the first place. That That's for somebody else, not for me. I, I don't deserve to hang on to this wealth. So they don't. They have one hell of a five-year party and poof, it's gone. <laughs> that's uh, It happens more often than not, but that's why, because they never thought that they were worthy of it in the first place. Yeah. And it's the same with healing. It's the same with this journey. And veterans, I mean, we're, we're um, leaders eat last, right? That's just the culture. So there's the chow line, the food line, and the senior NCOs and the officers are in the back waiting for everybody else to go first. And then whatever scraps are left, that's what the leaders eat. That's a, that's a Canadian yeah. thing. I think it might be a, a British thing too, but... Um, 
that's a Canadian thing. That's part of our military culture is that the leaders eat last. Absolutely. And first. Yeah. So the saying goes. Well, we like to fall on the sword for others. You know, we like, we're the ones that will jump on the grenade to save our own section. And, uh, literally. And that's just in us that that's the thing to do. Better me than somebody else. And so when it comes to resources, it's like, oh man, there's 10 spots for this freaking awesome veterans camp out in the bush. Somebody needs it more than I do. That's always the thing. Somebody needs it more than I do. And we're douchey to ourselves. We don't need somebody else to be a douche to us. We do it to ourselves. You know, we're, we self-douchify. And, um, but the truth is that oh, there's, I just posted a meme on it yesterday. Let's see if I can get it right. Um, I didn't create the meme. It was Canna Connect that made it. But self-care is not self-indulgence. Self-care is not self-indulgence. It's critical. And it said it better than that, but self-care is necessary for you to be the best version of yourself. It's uh, it's a part of the maintenance program. Like you have to look after yourself first. It's the oxygen mask dropping from the ceiling in the airplane kind of thing. You know, every every instinct in you wants to put it on your kid or the old person first, somebody weaker, and put it on yourself last. But if you do that, you'll pass out and then everybody dies. So you've got to put it on yourself first. You've got to look after yourself first, which is so counterintuitive to any soldier because it's always mission before self, unit before self, you know. Um, and we're always willing to fall on the damn sword and be self-sacrificing. So it's really counterintuitive. But if you really want to serve others, you've got to look after yourself first. You've got to do the self-care. You know, whatever that is for you, taking the time to go for a hike or whatever it is that you know that you need, go do that thing. And if somebody says that you're selfish because of it, well, that person doesn't know any better. They're being a douche and stay away from that person. If that person happens to be your spouse, do your best to get them to understand. If they can't understand, you need a new spouse. Like, that's just how it is. Don't let anybody stand in your way of self-care. So I've heard you mention something like this on your show before. Like I had a really hard time accepting help from people because there was, you know, a big part of my brain that was saying, I came back, you know, with all my limbs. What the fuck do I have to complain about? And, like, I can even, like, talk about, like, even before I went to Afghanistan, when I was a, just a Bosnia veteran, I couldn't bring myself... Hey, easy with get... the just there. Easy. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but the point will become clear. I couldn't bring myself to get the veteran plate. Yeah. Because, you know, in my mind, I had just, and I'm not really saying just, but I had just <laughs> gone to Bosnia as a peacekeeper I cannot compare myself to my grandfathers who deployed for years, not months, for years to Europe and Egypt and, you know, fought the Nazis. What do I have to complain about? I, I, I got, 
I missed Christmas with my family because I was in Bosnia. It's not really much much to hold a candle to for other people's deployments. So I wouldn't even allow myself to calm to be a veteran. No, I'm just a guy who serves still. And it was only after I got back from Afghanistan that I allowed myself to go get the veteran plate because now I was like, okay, okay, I can compare my service with, you know, other veterans, which is just the most toxic bullshit. It sure Comparing is. service. Yeah. Like my, my tour was worse than yours. I went to Afghanistan and you only went to Bosnia or you only went to Cyprus or whatever. And now um, I, do, I do have these conversations with guys, even guys who deployed to Ukraine like a couple years ago and come back. And I'm like, hey, man, like, I know my tour is nothing. I wish I could have had a tour like you. <laughs> no, you or don't. other guys who are just like, <laughs> man, I wish I got in when you were in because there were tours to Afghanistan and now there's no tours. I was like, whatever, man. Whatever. So you don't deploy. So you deploy somewhere that's not a combat zone. Make the best out of your service. You know, I did everything I could because I put my name in for everything. And that's how I made use of my service. I collected as many experiences as I could. I put my name in for courses, for taskings, for deployments, and I had fun. If I didn't get any deployments out of that, I would still put my name in for courses and taskings, met a lot of amazing people, got to do a lot of amazing things. Man, your service can be awesome whether or not you deploy to a combat zone. This idea of comparing service is just dumb. Like, you served. You're a veteran. You deserve everything that every other veteran deserves. Don't matter if you served in World War II, Korea, Afghanistan, you never deployed, you broke your back on QO3, BMQ, and you never actually got to go to a unit. You still put on the uniform. You still sign the dotted line. You're a veteran. Keep that bullshit of I don't deserve out of your brain. Keep it out of your brain. Everybody deserves love, care, compassion, treatment, self-care. Like, get it out of your head that you don't deserve it. Everybody does. And I don't care what you did with your service. You, as long as you served honorably, you're one of us. Stand beside the people with medals. Stand beside the people without. We're all the same. I had Tim Turner on the show uh, a while back promoting um, Operation Pegasus Trump, uh, skydiving for veterans, basically. And uh, he called me out. It was good. Uh, so Tim's like a super veteran, right? Like free fall, commando, high speed, low drag, all the courses, you know, super soldier kind of guy. And so is his kid. Um, amazing. He's a, he's Sartek now. Totally top of the food chain. And... Um, uh, we Tim and I served together at the same time or even on the same tour, but we never knew each other like one-on-one. And uh, he goes, how long did you serve Mark? And I said, Oh, just five years. He goes, fuck off with the just drop the just, you know, it's like, you guys, I get such a kick out of it, you know, like, like it's nothing. And, um, 
uh, and so this is the super soldier saying that, uh, you know, calling me on my shit for mi- minimizing the just five years, you know, it's, uh, it, it's funny, but it's good when we do that for each other though, call each other on our bullshit, pump each other's tires and, um, you know, don't shit on each other because when you shit on, uh, I had a weird nightmare. I won't tell you about it cause it was horrible, but there was a lesson in it. And I understood the lesson as soon as uh, the nightmare, as soon as I woke up from it. I'm like, okay, what the fuck was that about? And the lesson was, well, it was the do unto others thing right out of the Bible, but on a deeper level. What you do unto others, you do unto yourself. So it's different than how it's phrased. It just tells you, no, just do unto others, do, do unto yourself. Like, yeah, change that just a little bit. What you do to others you've done to yourself. When you're douchey to somebody else, you're douchey to yourself. If you're cruel to somebody else, you're cruel to yourself. If you're non-empathetic to somebody else, you're non-empathetic to yourself. When you're kind to somebody else, you're kind to yourself. When you're kind to a stranger, you're kind to yourself. What you do to others, you do to yourself. So I have this really amazing opportunity in my life right now. Um, I'm post-release, I'm on IRB, I'm, you know, focusing on getting better. And something I came to realize a little while ago is I get to decide the person I want to be now. I get to make myself into the person that I want to be. And that's what I'm doing because I think back of, you know, the harm that I caused other people, like my own troops, even um, if I'm being honest, because I wasn't taking care of myself. So I ended up making just bad leadership choices. And, you know, that's, that's not okay. And I actually kind of forgot where I was going with that. But what I want to say is I have a lot of shame for some of the things that I've done, some of the things that I said to people because I wasn't taking care of myself. And to those people, like, I want to say I'm sorry. You didn't deserve that. That was me not taking care of myself. Bravo Zulu, brother. Yeah. Now I'm trying to be the type of person that other, you know, troops, other people can come to and ask for help. And I think I'm doing a good job at it because people are coming and asking me. People keep coming. And I, I, I got to believe that means there's the trust. Absolutely. Of course there is. I think we're about there, Chris. I think I'm cooked. <laughs> that was deep. Turkey's done. Bing. Yeah. Any, uh, anything that you wanted to get out there before we wrap up? Oh, man, we talked about so much. It's a um, freaking heavy one today. It's a good one. It's good, yeah. though. It's good. I don't know. 
I think about a lot of the things I should have done differently. And the thing that keeps resonating with me is the same thing that everybody keeps saying to all of us all the time. But until you actually do it, you don't realize that they're right. You got to take that first step. You got to trust the process. Yeah, there are going to be times where you just feel silly going through some of the training, the, the treatment programs. Like I got to tell you, there was times like I went through uh, Homewood Health for an outpatient program. And there was a time where like our social worker was like, yeah, we're going to yodel. What? Yeah. Because it's going to be fun, because it's going to be weird, and it's going to get you to open up. And and like her rule was, trust the process. You're going to feel silly. Trust the process. See what happens. What do you got to lose? Yeah, you know what? You're going to look silly in front of a room full of people who are also looking silly. Well, it's the whole point. Get mm-hmm. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Get comfortable with being silly. Just let it out. Open yourself up and... Be amazed at what can happen. And the only other thing I'd want to say, too, is to the people who are not suffering, I want to just say one cautionary tale. There's a lot of people that I asked for help who weren't equipped to help me. And there is absolutely nothing in the world wrong with that. That's not everyone's wheelhouse. But if you're not ready for that, if you're not able to, you know, be there for that person for the long run, because it will not be a one and done thing. If that person came to you, they trusted you and they need you. If you can't be that person, you got to be up front. You can't lead them on. Because there were people I put trust in and it hurt me. Yeah. And it's not their fault. It really isn't. It's not like they said, fuck off. It's that they just didn't know how to handle it on their own. It was too much, too deep. So if you want to be that person, awesome. If you can't be that person, there's no shame in it. Don't try to be that person. And the forgiveness piece, uh, you've got a lot of wisdom in you, Chris. You've come, like, I don't know... uh, the, the full path of how you got to where you are, but you are in a place right now, I'll tell you, of wisdom and self-awareness. There are people that I reached out to that didn't help me. And I thought it was pretty clear that I was asking for help. But they either couldn't or wouldn't or whatever it was. You, I haven't said this in a while, but... Uh, at the end of the day, if they knew better, they would have done better. If they had more to give, they would have given more. And that's just one of those constants. It's always the truth. If they had more, they would, but they should have. No, they couldn't. But I think they could have. If they could have, they would have. So let it go. If they had more, they would have gave more. If they knew better, they would have done better. 
And it doesn't mean that they didn't respect you or didn't like you. Yeah. They just didn't have the parts and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Thanks for today, Chris. Thank you. Stay in the line, brother. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud.